The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. If Paul saw the church in America, we'd be getting a letter. Have you seen that on social media? I started seeing that appear about six months ago. If Paul saw the church in America, we'd be getting a letter. And as I, as I saw that post, and I saw people sharing it, and I saw people in our church body um, sharing that post, I had, I had a wide variety of thoughts. And, and one of them was, well, God has communicated to, to the church in 66 different books, many of which are letters. And because I'm kind of a cup half empty kind of person, my thought was, what makes us think we would listen to a new one? What we've received from God through his word is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel reveals to us the nature of God, and it reveals to us the nature of mankind, and it reveals to us how, how we can be in right relationship with God. And over the past several months, as I've been reading Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, my thought was, well, if Paul wrote a letter to the church in America, it's going to look a lot like Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, which is not a friendly letter if you've been reading it. One of the things you should know about this letter, what we call 1 Corinthians, is it's actually not Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 5.9, Paul gives an indication, as I wrote to you before. So what we see in this relationship between Paul and the church at Corinth is that correspondence has been flowing back and forth between the time Paul founded the church and Paul was in Corinth for 18 months, and then he left and he ended up in Ephesus from where he wrote this letter. So this is not Paul's first correspondence with the church in Corinth. But it's certainly a different kind of letter than what he had written to them in the past. See, something has happened. There's been, he's heard from the members of Chloe's household. And, and when the Bible talks about that, uh, what it really means is, is there's, a, there's a, a church, there's a group of people that are meeting in someone's house. And it happened to be this, this Chloe, this female. And the people in Chloe's household are kind of reporting back to Paul the things that are happening at the church in Corinth, the larger church in Corinth. And there are a number of issues. There's conflict and there's division among the churches in Corinth. There's compromise in Corinth, especially in terms of of the Corinthian sexual ethic. There are big problems with the Corinthian sexual ethic. 
And these two things, this conflict and compromise, which is why we've called the series this, these two things, this conflict and compromise, really stem from the fact that these Christians, because they are Christians, it really stems from the fact that these Christians don't understand the gospel. They fully haven't grasped the concept and the idea of the gospel. They haven't made it something that's their own. They haven't internalized the gospel. And what we're going to see is, as we read through this letter over the next many, many, many months, is that, is that Paul's letter to the church at Corinth is not Paul's letter to the church at Thessalonica. A couple weeks ago, we were talking about this at home, and I, I, made, I said that sentence to my wife. And she kind of said, what do you mean? I said, well, well, Paul's letter to the church at Thessalonica was pretty encouraging. And then she said, well, how is it encouraging? Just the tone of it and, and the way that they were, for the most part, they were living out their faith. And yes, they had things that they needed to work on. But comparatively speaking, the situation in Corinth and the situation in Thessalonica are two very different situations. They are drastically different. See, the Christians in Corinth, they've made Jesus their Savior, but they haven't made him their Lord. And this is going to cause problems for them. And as I've been reading through this letter over the last several months now, I find myself wondering what it, what it would have had to have been like to be in the room the first time this letter was read. Especially when Paul says this. Imagine hearing this. You come, you come to church, you hear that there's a letter from Paul, and you hear this. Should I come with a rod to punish you? Why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? Why not let yourselves be cheated? But in the following instructions, I cannot praise you, for it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. Can you imagine hearing that? This one's actually my personal favorite. Do you think God's word originated with you, Corinthians? Are you the only ones to whom it was given? So this is a dramatically different letter than the letter to the church at Thessalonica. And what Paul is going to do in this letter as he, as he boldly confronts their conflict and boldly confronts their compromise, what he's going to tell them is over and over, over and over, he's going to tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's going to call them to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the only appropriate response that Paul is going to give them, the only thing that you can do, that you must do, that you have to do is submit to this gospel. See, because they didn't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, all of these other things just manifested out of it. It's... We drew this, I drew this picture on the board in the class I teach at Summit uh, this past week. I drew a tree, and I'm not an artist, but I drew a tree, and I drew leaves, and I put little fruit all over it. And what we're seeing in this conflict and this compromise in the church at Corinth is we're seeing the fruit. That's just what's being demonstrated. And then I drew a root system, 
And the problem at the church in Corinth isn't that they're fighting. It's not that they compromise. The problem at the church in Corinth is they don't understand the gospel. At a fundamental level, they don't understand the gospel. Regardless of what they think, regardless of what they say, regardless of how how they gather, although the way that they gather indicates that they don't believe the gospel. The problem in Corinth is they don't believe the gospel. So Paul is going to teach them the gospel. He's going to preach them the gospel. And then he's going to call them to submit to it. So let's talk about Corinth just for a very brief couple of minutes. It's, uh, it's one of the chief cities in Greece. It's the capital of Achaia. It had a population of about 700,000 people, many of whom, most of whom were slaves. So imagine that dynamic for a moment. Probably 400,000 of the almost 700,000 people who lived in Corinth were slaves. And it was located on this, um, on this narrow isthmus between the Aegean and the Adriatic Seas. There was one port about six miles to the east and one port about six miles to the west. And there was this road that connected the two seas. And if you had a small boat, you could actually put the boat on a cart and pull it across the isthmus to get it to the other sea. If you have a large boat, lots of cargo, you put the cargo and move it back and forth between the seas. There were more than 12 active active temples in Corinth, and the largest one was a temple to Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And worship of her included taking advantage of the 1,000 temple prostitutes. Corinth was so known for its behavior that they, they had this little saying to be Corinthianized. And that was not a compliment, to be Corinthianized. Uh, eventually, that, that phrase, to be Corinthianized, would also would be a, would be a euphemism for to practice sexual immorality. That's how bad Corinth was. And yet, in Corinth, the concepts of wisdom and knowledge and eloquent speech were very high values. So if you were highly intelligent and you could speak clearly and you had the power of persuasion, the people in Corinth looked at you and thought, I know this is 2023, but this is what they would have thought. You're the man. Not you're the woman, you're the man. If you have wisdom and knowledge and eloquence of speech, you are someone that should be listened to. And each one of these realities, each one of these pieces of this Corinthian context play themselves out in the church. Because even though these people had had 18 months with Paul, of Paul teaching and preaching them the gospel, and them at least verbally assenting to it, and at least intellectually assenting to it, at the end of the day, the people in Corinth really, really chose and preferred to be Corinthians rather than being Christians. The way of Corinth was just a, was just a far more attractive prospect for success than the way of Christ. And this is what is confronting the church. And this is why Paul is going to confront them. Paul is not going to idly sit back and watch this happen. He's going to do what he's done before. He's, going to, he's just going to write him a letter. 
He's going to put pen to paper and he's going to write them a letter. We're in 1 Corinthians 1 today, verses 1 through 3. One of the things that's really just been on my heart for, actually for a while, and maybe I've talked a little bit about it, is we want to teach you how to read the Bible. We want to teach you how to access what the Bible is saying. So kind of the, the format that I like to use is, is what does it say, what does it mean, and what am I supposed to do with it? Pretty basic. So today, as we just go through these first three verses, that's, that's kind of how we're going to talk about it. That's the framework we're going to use to talk about these first three verses. And it's going to seem pretty basic. But one of the things that I've seen in thinking about those three questions, and, and not just in someone else's life, but in my own, I'm very quick to read it. And then, I'm, then I quickly ask, what does it mean for me? What am I supposed to do with it? But when we kind of follow this process, what does it say? What does it mean? Then we can get to what does it mean for me? So we're just going to read. This is very slowly through these first three verses. This letter is from Paul. Paul, and in a moment we're going to see another name, is the author of this letter. This is the same Paul who has written them a number of letters. We don't know many how many but at least one previous letter. This is Paul. You know me. If we were to go back and and read through Acts chapter 18, we would see how the church was founded. We would see that Paul spent 18 months there with them. So they know Paul. And what Paul's going to do is he's going to remind them of his credentials. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God. Here's what we need to know about this. See, Paul was chosen by the will of God. It was intentional and it was on purpose. When God saw Paul, and we're going to talk about this calling more in a couple of minutes. Paul, God saw Paul and was like, that guy is going to be my apostle. It wasn't just that Paul happened to be going on the road from Jerusalem to Damascus as detailed in the book of Acts, but it was on purpose. Paul was intentionally chosen for his purpose, for his mission. Paul was intentionally the one who founded the church at Corinth. Paul is the one who is intentionally going to write to the church at Corinth. Chosen to be what? An apostle. So he's a delegate and a representative. So when we think about that word apostle, It means a delegate or a representative. Technically, it's someone who has been with Jesus. We think about the 12 apostles. And maybe for those of us who are really familiar with our Bible, we're like, well, how could Paul be an apostle if he wasn't with Jesus? Well, it wasn't no one that that Paul met on the road between Jerusalem and Damascus. It was Jesus. Paul had been with Jesus. He's chosen by God's will to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. And I think that's something that's really important here. Of Jesus Christ. Paul is not representing himself. See, one of the things that that we can kind of do as we read through this letter is we can 
we can see how Paul is laying the groundwork for all the things that he's going to say after this. And Paul is giving the church at Corinth this indication that essentially the gospel is bigger than you. The gospel is about more than just you. The gospel is about more than just me. And what he says is, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to me, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm not representing myself. These aren't my words that I think it would be a really great thing if you would live out this moral life, because that's just a better way to live. What Paul is communicating in no uncertain terms to the church at Corinth is that he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's a delegate of Jesus Christ. So whatever Paul says, and there are going to be some interesting statements that we read over the next nine months together, Paul is going to say something like, I say this, not the Lord, but me. What Paul is saying here is, I'm a delegate, I'm representative of Jesus Christ. And unless I indicate otherwise, church at Corinth, every single thing I am telling you, you are to do. Because you, church at Corinth, and we only know this because we read the rest of it, you guys are pretty messed up. And I'm writing to you on the authority of Jesus. On the authority of Jesus. So it's from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and from our brother Sosthenes. Who's that? If we were to flip back to Acts chapter 18 we would see that there's a man there named Sosthenes who at one point had been, had been in charge of the synagogue in Corinth. Is it the same guy? Some scholars believe yes. Some scholars believe no. We also know that there had been a previous leader in the synagogue, also from Acts 18, who turns out was converted to the gospel. If this Sosthenes, who then came after that first one, is also converted, if I were a Jewish leader, I would stop sending people to the synagogue to be leaders in Corinth. Because every single time we send them there, they get converted to Christianity. What is it about this thing? What I would encourage you to do this week, and we'll be talking about this over the next few weeks, is just to spend some time in Acts chapter 18. Go back and read through and, and learn how the church was founded. We actually made it really easy for you. If you have version, or if you got our weekly email or if you're on Facebook, we made a 20-minute video that kind of goes through Acts 18, kind of high, giving you the highlights. Just suggest that you watch that sometime this week. But it would be better if you read it. Just read through Acts chapter 18. So this is Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus from our brother Sosthenes. I'm writing to God's church in Corinth. Again, this is really important. It's, it's so basic. But if we look at it that way, we'll miss its value. See, the church in Corinth isn't Paul's church. Even though Paul brought the gospel to Corinth. It's not Paul's church. I am writing not to Paul's church in Corinth. But then also notice what else he doesn't say. He doesn't say, I'm writing to your church in 
Corinth. Hey, Corinthians, it's not my church. It sure ain't your church. It's God's church. One of the things that I would do when I would, when I would drop our son John off at school when we lived in Minnesota, he'd open the door and I would always look at him and I would say, hey, John, remember who you are and remember whose you are. See, what Paul is telling the church at Corinth, they're God's church. They belong to God. They don't belong to me, Paul. They don't belong to Sosthenes. They don't belong to you. The church doesn't belong to you. You belong to God. Then he continues, I'm writing to God's church in Corinth, to you who have been called by God. And there's this word, and we spent a lot of time on Monday talking about this, called. To you who have been called by God. One of the things that I believe would be important for us to understand is they're not a part of the church because they stumbled into a building one day. Because they made their way into, into Chloe's house because she invited them in, although she probably did. That's not why they're a part of God's church in Corinth. They're a part of God's church in Corinth because they have been called by God to be a part of God's church in Corinth. And see, this ought to mean something for us. As we think about our own, our own relationship with one another, because that's what church means. I always try and say it this way. When we talk about church in this way, we're not talking about the organization. We're talking about the people. See, these people aren't, aren't a part of just this organization, They've been called by God intentionally, purposely. They're here for a reason. And he's going to unpack this in what we would call 1 Corinthians 12 when he talks about the gifts. They're called for a reason. They're not just hanging out at Chloe's house because they don't have anything better to do. They're there for a reason. They have been intentionally and purposefully chosen by God. And I wonder what it would be like for us as we, as we wrestle with the great, the great identity movement of our day in trying to understand who I am, what my identity is. What would it be like for us to remember who we are and whose we are? That answers those questions. And this isn't, this isn't some kind of predestination thing. Sometimes we read that word called. And our, our theological radar starts to go off. That's not what Paul is talking about. Paul's not talking about predestination here. This goes back to the very beginning. See, when God made all things, when God made the entire universe... What he did at the end of those six days was he made, or on the sixth day, he made mankind and he said it was good. And he gave them a mission and a ministry and a purpose to join him in what he was doing on earth. To care for the garden. We had a purpose. We were good. And it was something that we were all called to. 
And I would say, the Bible would say, that we have all been called to be God's people. We've all heard the call. We've talked about this before. God reveals himself in lots of different ways, one of which is nature. We're not going to run through the whole thing. But nature reveals the reality of who God is. Reveals something about God. So when I see something in nature, I have a choice. I can worship the created thing or I can try and understand what's behind that thing. Where did that thing come from? How did that thing get there? See, then we're on that journey of understanding who God is. We've all been called. All of us have been called. But not everyone comes. Not everyone responds with submission. Not everyone listens. And this is what's happening in Corinth, is these people have heard the gospel, they've heard the good news, they've professed with their lips that they're going to do something, but at the end of the day, because they don't understand the gospel, what they're doing is they're in conflict with one another, and they're in compromise with their culture. Because they've heard the call, they've said they wanted to go along with it, but at the end of the day, it's just easier to be a Corinthian than it is a Christian. It's more fun to be a Corinthian than it is to be a Christian. I mean, the church doesn't have temple prostitutes. Well, in Corinth, they kind of did, which Paul's going to address. But there's a lot of things going on in this text. See, the issue with the people in Corinth is they were gifted, but they were immature and unspiritual. They had all of the things from God, but they were immature and they were unspiritual. They misunderstood the gospel, and it wrecked everything about them. Everything they touched was affected by their misunderstanding of the gospel. And as I think about what we're going to learn from 1 Corinthians over the next many months, and especially over the next eight or nine weeks, there are lots of ways to misunderstand the gospel. And when we must understand the gospel, we, we get it wrong. The way we are with one another is impacted and affected by that. So they've been called by God. Let's, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Sosthenes. I'm writing to God's church in Corinth, to you who have been called by God to be his own holy people. See, what we ought to ask a question of, if we've been called by God, like, okay, so what does that mean for me? What am I being called into? What am I being expected to do? How am I expect, be expected to perform? Like if I were to say, hey, on October 8th, we're going to have a church work day, which we are. Some of you probably want to know what we're going to do that day, right? You want to know what's going to happen so you can dress appropriately. You can come ready for work. And what Paul is saying is here, you have been called by God to be his own holy people. That's why you are called to be his own holy people. You are not going to be your own holy people. What Paul is not saying is you are not going to be righteous in your own eyes. Because there are plenty, frankly, of moral people in Corinth. They're the ones who are smart and know how to speak good. Those are the ones that are the good moral people in Corinth who go to the temple of Aphrodite 
and take advantage of a temple prostitute. That makes me a good Corinthian. In fact, that makes me a good moral Corinthian. And what Paul is saying here is you're called to be God's own holy people, not your own holy people, not righteous in your own eyes, but God's own holy people, as he is going to explain it and he is going to define it. What you can't do, church at Corinth, is say you want to be God's own holy person and then live like you want to. God is going to tell the people in Corinth, like, this is what holiness looks like. And he is going to drag them through their own mud and hold up all of their behaviors and hold up all of their practices to the light of Christ and call them to be holy. And as I've been thinking about this concept of holiness, I think there are times where we have an incomplete version of what holiness is. Sometimes I believe we get the idea that holiness and separation is just separation from something. So I, I see the world, I see this ungodly thing, and I'm going to separate myself from it. I'm not going to do that thing. And usually what that looks like for us when we think about how we're not going to participate in the behaviors of the world we don't really mean, like if we were just to be honest about it, we don't really mean that we're going to 100% stay away from it. We mean like we're going to like 95% stay away from it. Right? That's holiness. And we know that's holiness because we say things like, well, at least I'm not as bad as that person. At least I don't pursue my own sinful thing as much or as often or as detailed as that person. So our holiness is, is faulty because not only because it's separation from the world, but because it's incomplete. But also to be holy means to separate and to be set apart to something. See, we're not just separated from the evil of the world. We're separated to participate in what God calls us to participate. It's not just that we don't do some things, but we do do other things. The Corinthians did indeed need to be de-Corinthianized. 100%. They needed to stop doing all the things that they were doing. But there's this saying, maybe you've heard it, it's Aristotle, nature abhors a vacuum. See, once the church at Corinth was de-Corinthianized, they needed to be Christianized. They needed to be set apart, not just from the world, but they needed to be set apart to God. And they needed to be pursuing what God had for them, the life that God had for them. They were to imitate the Father, living out the Father's values. It wasn't enough for them to just not be like the other people in Corinth. They had to pursue something else. And sometimes as Christians, we can think to ourselves that because I'm not doing this list, this category of things, I'm a good moral Christian. Because I grew up in western Nebraska, and I go to church every once in a while, 
And I'm a good moral person in comparison to all of those people out there. But what God is talking about when he talks about holiness is not just separation from, but separation to. We are to be pursuing, we are to be set apart for something. Why? Next verse, next part of the verse. He made you holy by means of Jesus Christ. And this is, this is so important for what we're going to spend the next many months talking about. God's church in Corinth wasn't holy due to their own good works. They weren't this group of people that thought, we're going to get together and we're going to form this morality club where we're going to see all the bad things that all the Corinthian people are doing and we're just going to be good moral people. Their wisdom and their knowledge didn't get them there. The fact that there were eloquent speakers among them didn't get them there, didn't set them apart. And soon, as we work through chapter 1, we're going to read that God, through Paul, tells them that the wisdom of the world and the knowledge of the world and being an eloquent speaker in the world compared to God's wisdom and God's knowledge and the way that God speaks is nothing. It's foolishness. And just to think about nature for a moment. What could any of us possibly say? What glorious statement could we possibly make that is worldly wisdom, that is more magnificent than the monument as we look out at it? Or the Rockies in Colorado. Or the ocean as you stand on the shore. There's, there's no wisdom that can compete against that. See, they are only holy. They are only God's church because of the work of Christ. It had nothing to do with the way that they showed up on the Sabbath. No matter how consistent they were. It had nothing to do with the way that they gave their money to the poor. And we read in 1 Corinthians 13 that they're great at that, only they don't have love. See, the church in Corinth, the problem with the church in Corinth is, as we think about this, is they're not looking to Christ, they're looking for themselves, to themselves. They see their own internal righteousness, their own internal self-righteousness, their own internal morality, and they lift themselves up. And what gets revealed is their immaturity and their lack of spirituality as people. And they've forgotten something else. They're not the only ones who have been saved by Jesus. It's this next part. He made you holy by means of Christ Jesus, just as he did for all people everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Do you see how Paul is beginning this takedown of the people in Corinth and what their problems and what their issues are? What their conflict and compromise looks like? See, because the people in church at Corinth, when they think they're the only Christians, and then there is a subset of people within the church who think they're really the only Christians, and they're better than all of the other people. 
who sit in Chloe's household with them. What they're indicating is they don't understand the gospel. They're indicating that they don't know that Jesus also died for other people. And it is because of them that they are holy, not because of what they themselves have done. Paul ends his introduction to the letter in this way. Verse 3. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. On Monday, Tuesday, on Tuesday we talked about this. Paul knows exactly what he's going to say here in the rest of this letter. I don't think the Corinthians have any idea what they're in for in this particular text as it confronts their pride, as it confronts their drive to provoke conflict. I don't think the people in Corinth have any idea of the way that Paul is going to confront their compromising with their surrounding culture. And honestly, I'm not sure if we know what we're in for when we read through this letter. Paul knows exactly what he's going to say. Recently, I received a text from a friend of mine. And essentially, the text was, um, my life is on fire right now. My life is on fire. So I talked to my friend, and I got home from talking to my friend, and I walked into my bedroom, and I had this thought that hit my brain, and it was this. For the next nine months, what we're going to talk about at Westway Christian Church is church unity and confronting conflict and compromise and countering that with the gospel. And my question was, how, how is spending nine months talking about church unity How's that going to help my friend whose life is on fire? And I know enough about people in this room. Some of your lives are on fire too. You just haven't communicated it to anyone. But you know. God knows. And quite frankly, we know. Not knowing the details. But there are people whose lives are on fire in this room right now. How is talking about church unity going to help my friend? Well, suppose my friend comes to Westway Christian Church and, and they encounter people who are pridefully arrogant and divisive. Suppose my friend comes to Westway Christian Church and they find people who are pridefully and arrogantly compromising with the culture around them. Suppose my friend comes to Westway Christian Church, and what my friend sees is a bunch of people who are self-righteous. They have self-righteously separated themselves from the surrounding culture, but they haven't, in the spirit of God, attached themselves to God. How's my friend going to respond to that? 
What's my friend going to see? What's my friend going to experience? And maybe in a perfect world, we would say, well, that John, your friend is just going to then, they're not going to find what, they're, what they need here. And what they're going to do in a perfect world is they're going to go to another church. Well, I have a question. Who thinks we live in a perfect world? See, what I think is going to happen, and again, this is not cup half empty John Mulholland. This is someone who is informed by what the Bible actually says. See, what I think might happen is if they come here and they experience all of those things, what they might do is just not even go to church anywhere and just give up on the whole thing. And I think that's what we're seeing in our culture right now. I think people are going to church, entering into a relationship with people who are supposed to be living this book out. And instead of finding this, they find the same old problems that plague them outside the church. They just look different. We just stamp Jesus on it. Well, we're fighting over holy things. Put a cross on our brokenness. See, we don't spend our time talking about things like unity here at Westway Christian Church because we just want you to do what we want you to do. We spend time talking about these things at Westway Christian Church because, because there are real people who have real problems, like catastrophic problems going on in their lives. And one of the things that, that we can't afford to do as a church is get engaged in a bunch of manufactured problems, made-up problems. So we have people who have real problems. There are people with real problems in this room today. I want you to know that we are not going through 1 Corinthians because we think that there is division within Westway Christian Church. This isn't our subtle way to attack what we perceive going on here. This is us going on the offensive and saying we're not going to be that church. We're not going to be a divisive church. We're not going to be engaged in conflict. We're not going to compromise. And I say that because I'm also not naive. I know that there are pockets of these things within our body. And we're talking about them, but because we want, what we want to do as a body is be ready to experience the grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ that we can share it with other people. It's no surprise that Paul ends on that point. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. And very soon after that is going to talk about them not being divided. So what I think Paul is doing is saying the way to experience the grace and peace of God is to be Christianized. Is to experience and live out the gospel. And if you are divided and you compromise, then you're not doing it. My hope and my prayer for this series is that 
we would remember just whose church we are. We're God's church. This happens when we remember that we've been called by God to be his holy people. This happens when we remember that our holiness comes from Christ. It's not found from within ourselves. It's not self-righteousness. This happens when we remember that God's not done assembling his people. And some of the people, like the people who are already here, some of the people who are going to walk into our door on a Sunday morning, their lives are on fire. And what they need is a group of people who can help them put out their fire. Who can communicate the gospel because we are a group of people who have had our fires put out. Let's pray. Father, I ask this morning that the things that your word tells us would be taken to heart. That we would allow it to burrow deep into our souls, deep into our hearts, deep into our minds deep into our strength. That we would be the kind of people that when someone's life is on fire, they can walk into our door and experience not just a bunch of self-righteous people, but experience people who have been transformed by the gospel. And when they experience people who have been transformed by the gospel, they experience you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.